What do you despise? By this, you are truly known. From Manual of Muhadib by the Princess Iridan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Yes, we are, Evan. Hey, Evan, remember how um, the last couple episodes we've asked people to like send in their favorite moments? I sure do remember that. I'm very excited. Somebody, I, what, I, what I said was that um, if you have a favorite moment from Dune so far, we would love to hear from you. So send in like an audio recording or a video and we will play it on the show. Right. And guess what? What? What happened? Somebody, somebody did. Let's go. All right. This is, uh, this is Benjamin. Hey guys, this is Benjamin, uh, in Oregon and just been listening to you guys on, um, uh, Spotify. Love, love this like whole series you guys are doing. Um, I've been a huge Dune fan since I was a child. My whole family is. We've been listening to it since we were children. Uh, I'm super excited for the new movie. And I'm um, kind of sad that Evan has, doesn't know what's going to happen next. And right now, my favorite part in book one, because I've read this book multiple times since I was a child, is when Paul comes into his power. And you know that he is no longer just Bane Jesuit, nor is he just Mentat. He is something else. And you're feeling his angst because he knows that he's something else. And that's the best part. But, Evan, you don't know what's about to come. Everyone else knows about what's to come. Like, he's going to be more than more than anybody ever expected. He's not going to be the quiz ex Hatterach. He's going to be more than that. And, um, Evan, your mom is Latina. And so I appreciate that because, like, if you know a telenovela like anybody else, there's going to be drama to come. And you're going to appreciate that. All right? Bye. So that was Benjamin. And so, if you, okay, if you go, if y'all want to, we want to know. What are some of your favorite moments? Send us a video clip. Send us an audio clip. We want to know because this isn't just about Evan and I. This is about all of us. Send it in. Emails, readingdune, gmail.com. Right. It's about the tribe. Also, I got to say, I had this, this, what Benjamin just said just brought my interest to a whole nother level. And it's not just what he said, like, oh, he's going to be so much more than the because that's Hatterack, right? Like that's that's like whoa. But the fact that he <laughs> compared it to the drama level of a novella, like, uh oh. <laughs> if if you know what Benjamin's talking about and what I'm talking about right now, if it's gonna get that intense and dramatic, I don't even know what to expect anymore. You know, we've gotten so many emails, Evan, of people saying they're so happy to watch you go through this journey because they know what's going to happen, but you don't. Oh my gosh. And I feel like you're getting a fantastic experience by signing up uh, to do this with me. It's like, it's like real tense, man, because (laughs) we've, we've talked about it a lot. We like beat the horse to death, but like, I literally have no idea what's coming up next. And no, people will drop little context clues or they'll say something like what Benjamin just said or like a sneaky little comment on the live stream. Don't think I didn't notice what you guys are writing there. I see it right there on my computer screen. And I'm like, 
oh gosh, I think I know what's going on, but also I have no way, I have no expectation. Like I have no idea what to expect at all. And uh, for those of you listening, we're going live on YouTube and you can, if you're caught up, please jump in. Uh, we do these every Thursday. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Let's jump into the chapter. All right. I think it was really funny that uh, Benjamin said it's like kind of like a telenovela because um, in the last chapter, you had Paul lay out his plan and how he's going to become the emperor of the known universe. Right. And in this chapter, we get uh, Vladimir Harkonnen's plan of how his kin will be the emperor of the universe. Yeah. When I was reading that, he was like, we will have a Harkonnen on the throne. I was like, you just might. Big baby Baron, you just might have a Harkonnen on the throne. <laughs> Little does he know it might be Paul. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. This right. freaking so let, man. Let's go to over this quote. What do you despise? By this you are truly known. What do you think about that one? Um, I hate that. I despise this quote, Okay. It's something it's something that's been bothering me lately. People know a lot about what we all don't like and not a whole lot about what everybody enjoys. You know what I mean? Mm. And I don't want to be known but for the stuff that I hate, you know, like I don't want my tombstone to say here lies Evan Diaz. He hated country music. You know, like I, <laughs> That's no way to live, you know. I want like joy and love and awesomeness to be what I'm known for, not what I despise. But I feel like it's with the with the chapter, you know. I feel like yeah, it's it's um it's like a mirroring effect. You know, the things that really piss you off about other people are actually just the things you don't like about yourself. Yeah. So like when you're having a conversation with somebody and they're like, God, they're so annoying. They're yada, yada, yada. But those are actually all the things you don't like about yourself. I feel like that's what it's kind of like leaning into a little bit. Okay. I don't like that either, Caleb. That's what I caught from it. Because I've had that happen like to me. Just for not having anything to do with me. I just want to. Yeah. But I, I agree. And people should talk about um, what they like. And if you like Dune, you should definitely share with your friends this podcast. Yeah. Throwing out, throwing that out there. Okay, look. Last time, last time on reading Dune, Liet Kynes kind of helps Paul and Jessica out. Oh no, the Sardaukar come. Oh no, Duncan has to die protecting them. As like the doors open, they see Duncan fighting, and they they doors then close, and we don't know what's going to happen to Duncan. And then they run through the tunnel and they fly fly the Ornithopter, and they have to plunge it into a storm. And of course, they're they're being tailed by these Harkonnens. And that's the last that we know. So evidently that Harkonnen ornithopter flew back around and that report of the ornithopter of Paul and Jessica going into the storm is now making its way up the food chain. Right. It went from person to person to person to person. And this information meets Captain Nafood as he is in the middle of a crazy drug high on his uh, taking his his music drugs and he is interrupted so he instantly takes the anti-drug and then runs out to the baron's quarters so our chapter starts with the food the captain of the guard who like enters the baron vladimir harkonnen's private quarters which are at the center of the ship which is probably at the center of the city 
the place of the most protection, the absolutely safest place to be. They are dead, Baron, the guard captain says. Both the woman and the boy are certainly dead. And then you see the Baron sit up from his sleep suspensors in the middle of the room. Again, everything's in the center. And so he's sitting up, and then the guard captain repeats. He says, they're dead. It's a certainty. All right, the Baron shifts his gross body in his suspensors. Sleep fading from him, he straightened up the padded suspenser beneath the fat folds of his neck and stared across the single glow globe of his bedchamber to where the captain was. But the captain is blocked by a pentashield. Vroom, vroom. Which I think is just like a regular shield, but there's like five layers of it. So he's like on the other side of the shield, uh, probably for his own protection at this point in time. Pretty cool. Um, so he's not like in the room. There's still a, another barrier between the Baron and everybody else. I always find that interesting because the Baron is always trying to make himself as secure as possible. Whereas Paul, the our other person is diving headfirst into danger. Right. They juxtapose each other. Something could be said about life in there, but we'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> so Nafood repeats again. They're certainly dead. I have a full report. He keeps repeating this thing over and over. Again, he's just come out of this big drug high, so he's like, they're dead. They're dead. Please let me tell you, they're dead. Don't do anything, they're dead. And the Baron thinks, let him sweat a little. One must always keep the tools of statecraft sharp and ready. Power and fear, sharp and ready. So the first thing the Baron says is, had you seen the bodies? The food twitches. Because have they found the bodies? No. No. So the Baron repeats the question. Nafud says, My lord, they were seen to dive into a sandstorm. Winds over 800 kilometers. Nothing survived such a storm, my lord. Nothing. One of our own craft was destroyed in the pursuit. The Baron continues to stare and repeats the question. You have seen the bodies? Uh. <laughs> and Nafud is now really sweating this one out. And he says, he's just, my lord, right? And then the Baron responds, for what purpose do you come rattling your armor? Tell me a thing is certain when it is not. Do you think I'll praise you for such stupidity and give you another promotion? <laughs> Nafud went pale. The Baron thinks, look, look at the chicken. I'm surrounded by this useless clods. If I scattered sand before the creature and told him it was grain, he'd peck at it. The Baron, um... It's just awful. I don't know how to like say it otherwise. No, he sucks. And I was upset when I started reading this and I read the word Baron, which is like the first word in this chapter. I was like, dang it. Not a good God. Talk to the Baron again. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so over the Baron. So then Nafood's going to give him a, a play by play, the whole report, but he's not going to give it all at once. He's going to give it piece by piece. Um, because <laughs> he's really nervous. <laughs> And the Baron is like only to like goes like he's like he's like leading him on like just give the full report. So the man Idaho led us to him then, right? And the Baron's like, oh look, he just he can't say the report. He can only say yes, my lord. What are you? What's he doing? So the Baron says they were attempting to flee thee to the Fremen. Yes, my lord. 
And then the Baron goes, is there more to this report? Am I giving the report? Are you giving the report? How is this working? Uh, Nafud jumps in. The Imperial Planetologist Kynes is involved, my lord. Idaho joined Kynes under mysterious circumstances. I might even say suspicious circumstances. The Baron. So? Nafud. They uh, fled together to the place in the desert where it's apparent the boy and his mother were hiding. In the excitement of the chase, several of our group were caught in a laser gun shield explosion. Boom. We were there for that. Yeah. Well, we were over the hill for that. <laughs> it's true. Good thing we weren't there. We would have, yeah, we would have blown up. <laughs> but this makes, like, Idaho has probably had a tail on him the whole time. Right. Like the, which sucks. So finally, um, the Baron asks, well, how many did we lose? Uh, I'm uh, not sure yet, my lord. He's lying, the Baron thought. Must have been pretty bad. <laughs> been pretty bad. So now we know that... Uh, the, so the Baron kind of thinks to himself, the Imperial Lackey, this kinds, he was playing a double game, huh? I'll stake my reputation on it, my lord. No food. His reputation. His reputation. Ooh. Well, I mean, his reputation is being in the right place at the right time. Like, he, right. he just happened to be not dead. And that's why he's captain. Yep. So the Baron says, have the man killed. If he's playing a double game, kill him. Right. My lord, Kynes is the Imperial Planetologist. And then the Baron, the most Harkonnens thing ever, will then make it look like an accident. Yeah, okay. But Kynes is with the Sardaukar, and that is going to prove a problem for Nafud. Right. Because uh, they're Sardaukar. How do we... Then, and let's, let's just say the last time um, the Sardaukar gave the Harkonnens somebody, it would be Duke Leto, and he ended up having an accident. So you would think they would be uh, less apt to give people up. Right. And like, how many accidents can they actually get away with? You know, like realistically, even with all the corruption and all the plans within plants, how many accidents can happen to like very key people in this whole thing before the emperor actually does something? A lot. Okay. <laughs> That's upsetting. Okay. Let's keep going, I guess. <laughs> Um, so Nafud asks how he should get Kynes away from the Sardaukar and then informs that the bear informs the Baron that the Sardaukar have also captured somebody else. My Lord, the Sardaukar have, there are two persons in your custody that might interest you. They've caught the Duke's master of assassins. Howitt, do for Howitt. I've seen the captain myself, my Lord, tis Howitt. And the Baron, I'd believe, I'd not believed it's possible. He's overjoyed. Yeah. Because this is that, some big uh, news here. I read that sentence a couple times just to make sense of it. I'd, I'd not have believed it, but I'd not have believed, I'd not have believed You got it, it yeah. I, I would, would not, not have believed have it. Believed it pos- I would not have, that's crazy. That's, that's a weird way to say that, but I'm cool. It's the future, man. They speak weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> That makes sense. And so Nafud's like, yeah, yeah, we caught we caught the, the Mentat. It should be some good sport. And the Baron growls. One does not waste a Mentat. 
Has he spoken? What does he say of his, of his defeat? Could he know the extent of? But no. And then Nafud says, he's spoken only of my lord to believe that the Lady Jessica is his betrayer. And the Baron sinks back in his, into his seat thinking, ah, perfect. So then the Baron says, well, let's make sure that he doesn't know she's dead or in the storm. Make sure she, we know she's alive. And I want you to treat Howitt extremely kindly. He's to be told nothing of the late Dr. Yui. What did we say Dr. Yui died defending his duke? In a way, this may even be true. We will instead feed his suspicions against the Lady Jessica. My lord, I don't... The way to control and direct a mentat in a food is through his information. False information, false resorts. And so then the Baron says, Is Howitt hungry? Is he thirsty? My lord, Howitt's still in the hands of the Sardaukar. Yes, indeed, but the Sardaukar will be anxious to get information from Howitt. So then the Baron says that he wants to, that they should tell the Sardaukar that the Baron wishes to question Howitt and Kynes at the same time to play one off the other to gain information. And then once they leave Sardaukar hands, there will be an accident. Another emergency will pop up. And that's when the food, he gets it. He goes, oh, I understand that's when Kynes will have his accident. And the Baron's like, no, no, they'll both have accidents. We want the Sardaukar to believe Howitt to be dead as well. But he's to be given food and drink, treated with kindness and sympathy. And in the water, he'll give him a residual poison developed by the late Piter de Vries. And you, personally, will see that the antidote becomes a regular part of Howitt's diet. From this point on, unless I say otherwise. The antidote, yes, Nafud shook his head. But don't be dense, Nafud. The duke almost killed me with that poison capsule tooth. The gas he exhaled in my presence deprived me of my most valuable mentat, Piter. I need a replacement. So he's like, wait, Howitt will be the new mentat? And so Baron reads his mind and pretty much says, you're going to say how it was completely loyal to the Atreides, but the Atreides are dead. We will woo the formidable Thufur Howitt. Nafud at this point, um, I think it's just a plot device to just keep the Baron talking. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, he doesn't understand. So then the Baron elaborates more that Howitt, unfortunately, had a master who had small resources and could not elevate the Mentat to the sublime peaks of reasoning that are every Mentat's wish and right to have good information. Hmm. The Duke could not afford the most efficient spies to provide the best information. But let us never deceive ourselves, Nafud. The truth is a powerful weapon. We know how we overwhelmed the Atreides. Howitt knows it too. We did it with wealth. And that's what we see how it, when the last time we saw him, he was like stunned at the amount of wealth. Right. They had to drop that many ships to make it happen. The Baron suggesting that, uh, how it knows it's that they have all this wealth. So we'll just pin him against Lady Jessica and say Lady Jessica was it. And that he must have his revenge against her. And he will continue to work for the Harkonnens as long as they keep him alive. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm having a hard time seeing this working, but I also have no idea what's going to happen. I'm like, how it really would, how it fall for that? Cause the only stupid thing he's done so far is distrust Lady Jessica, but he's been a pretty smart guy this whole time. You know, is he going to fall for something that blatantly obvious? Like, oh, I'm a prisoner and now they're giving me like donuts and stuff. Like, come on. I know. I know what's happening here. Yeah, you would think that he would he would know what's happening. But I think they have him so far confused that they'll just keep feeding him false information and he'll continue to make up false results in his head. to what he think is true. That makes sense, unfortunately. And this makes the Baron's day because let's be honest, he's had a pretty bad day so far. Yeah. You know, he took the planet, but he lost his Mentat. He lost Paul and Jessica. He almost got killed. He didn't, he lost the Duke in a way, didn't want to lose him. He was just, you know, all around, not the best day for him. So this getting a Mentat back would be a win especially one of the most formidable Mentats in all of history, a Mentat trained to kill. And this is where the Baron thinks like, I'll show you how to wield a Mentat. This is how we're going to do it. But I like how the thing that um, the Baron uses to keep how it on a leash is the poison. Right. It's the idea that They'll keep feeding him the antidote to the poison. So if they ever stop or he tries to run away, he'll just die. And he says, the Baron says that the absence of a thing can be just as deadly as a presence of the thing. Yeah. Absence of air, the absence of water, the absence of anything else you're addicted to. The Baron nodded. You understand me, Nafood? This is Nafood, the addict. It nods aggressively. Yes, yes. So... The Baron says, get busy, find the Sardaukar commander, and let's set things in motion. Nafu turns around and hurries away. And at this point in time, the Baron is just kind of happy with himself. This is, this is, we're going to, we're going to make it out okay of this. Sure, it's not going to be the exact plan I wanted, but it will be okay. He reaches behind a drapery beside his suspensor bed and presses a button that summons his older nephew, Raban, the Beast. The Beast? Yep, the Beast Raban. But, of course, um, as he's waiting, the Baron thinks that, of course, the stupid guard captain is right. Nothing survives a storm. Of course. So it's funny how, like, he's just making him sweat this whole time. And, of course, he was like, oh, yeah, no, no, they're they're definitely dead. (laughs) The woman and the boys are dead. The bribes are in the right place. The unthinkable expenditure to bring overwhelming military force down on one planet. All the sly reports tailored for the emperor's ears. All the careful scheming were here at last coming to full fruition. Power and fear. Fear and power. And then he's projecting how one day there will be a Harkonnen that sits on the throne not himself or no spawn that he has, but a Harkonnen nonetheless. And it probably will happen in his life, maybe not his lifetime, but it may in the distant future. Right. And he wants that person to be Fade Rautha, 
Right. Raban's younger brother, who we met in chapter two. Right. I remember that. The kid who was like, why am I here? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so we see, we still have like the shield in front of the door shield and we see Raban come up. And he says, my Lord Baron. And we get this full uh, description of what the beast Raban looks like. He had the Harkonnen paternal line of narrow set eyes, bulge of shoulders. He was low built, gross of face and body. He still had some rigidity in his fat, but it was obvious to the eye he'd come one day to the portable suspensors for the carrying of his excess weight. He is muscle minded and tank brained. So like a, like a little baron. Yeah. Like a little baron. Gross. <laughs> and, but not as cunning. He's just, uh, he's a brick. Right. He's meant to do one thing. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a hammer. All he knows how to do is smash things. The baron. Yes. A little, a little trickier. <laughs> he knows how to wield the hammer. Whoa. And, and he's about to wield Raban in a way to get what he wants. Yeah. Um, so Raban says, you summoned me. He steps into the room and the flicked a glance past an air disturbance of his body shield and search for a chair. And he found none. <laughs> power move. Just like a, a power move that the Baron learned at a uh, conference at Hilton Head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be have power in the room, make sure there are no chairs. <laughs> this is some show where they're like, you just give somebody like, oh, you want a cigar? And you give them a little tiny baby skinny cigar and you smoke a big fat long cigar <laughs> to put people in their place. That's <laughs> exactly it. Well, he does the same thing with the shield. So he lets the shield, the shield door down, but he keeps his full shield on his personal shield on at full blast so you can see the glimmering of it like i'll let you inside my circle but uh, i'm me. still wearing a shield right yeah. and he did it like, so oh. you could see the shield like very purposely. on purpose so whack <laughs> we we can all agree that baron vladimir harkonnen is an awful person <laughs> <laughs> the beast Raban um, advances one more step, thinking the damn old man deliberately removed all the chairs, <laughs> forcing anybody to stand. <laughs> so the Baron then lays out the plan. The Atreides are dead, and that's why I've summoned you here to Arrakis. The planet is yours. Raban blinks, visibly confused. But I thought you were going to give it to Piter. Piter is dead too, the Baron says. Piter? Piter. <laughs> the Baron reactivated the door field and it blanked against the energy penetration. Put the doors back on. So Raban's like, ah, so you finally got tired of him, eh? Bad His voice move. fell flat. Yeah, bad move. As much as they like hated each other and were constantly bickering, like an old married couple back and forth about how they're going to kill each other. You still need the Mentat. 
Right. And like, uh, Raban is kind of like, hey, 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 so what's up, Uncle? You uh, got sick of that guy? And the Baron's like, we're not friends. Like, don't, <laughs> don't talk to me like that. <laughs> we're not there yet. Okay. I may be giving you the planet, but we're not close. No. Um, the Baron says, I will say a thing to you just once. You insinuate that I obliterated Piter as one obliterates a trifle. He snapped his fat fingers. Just like that, huh? I'm not so stupid, nephew. I will take it unkindly if you ever suggest by word or action that I am ever so stupid. So Forgive me, Lord Baron, Raban said. He lowered his eyes to hide his own anger as much as to show the subservience of the moment. The Baron says, I make a point. Never obliterate a man unthinkly the way an entire fief might do. Throw some due process of law. Always do it for an overriding purpose. And you know your purpose. And this is where Raban goes, so what about Yui, huh? I, you obliterated the traitor. I saw his body being carried out the night I arrived. The Baron smiled. I'm very careful about my dangerous weapons. Dr. Yui was a traitor. He gave me the duke. Strength poured into the Baron's voice. I suborned a doctor of a souk school, the inner school, you hear, boy? But that's a wild sort of weapon to leave lying about. I didn't obliterate him casually. Okay, question. Did the Baron really subdue the doctor? Who really subdued the doctor? Ah... Was it him that did it, or was it Piter's plan that did it? Was it Piter who got him to move over to move against his wife? Because in that interaction with Kine, or with uh, Yui, it felt like the Baron didn't even remember how he got him there. I was like, oh yeah, you're Wana. May you join her. Like, right? did he really do that, or is he just feeling the power and taking credit? I, mean, I don't know. I'd... He at least funded the operation, so in a way, he did it. You know, like it's like it's like when you're uh, you're working for a boss, whatever, and you have a good idea, but you always remember that like the boss funds everything, so you have to make it his idea for it to actually work. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Whoever has the money is actually in charge. Never the person who says they're in charge. Right. It's like you can be a really great chef and have creative abilities, but once you create a dish in a restaurant, it's the restaurant's dish, not yours. So you can't just like yep. go to a different restaurant and make the same dish. Yeah, follow the money. Um. Yeah, follow the money. So there's one thing that the uh, Baron wants Raban to do. Besides keep it secret that Yui was a traitor or that the Emperor and the Sardaukar were used. He says, I give you different instructions about Arrakis this time, nephew. When you last ruled this place, I held you in strong reign. This time I have one requirement. The beast Raban replies, my lord. 
And the Baron says, income. Income? Have you any idea, Raban, how much we spent to bring such a military force to bear on a, on the Atreides? Do you ever even... Th- th- oh. Do you do you have even the first inkling of how much the guild charges for military transport? Is it expensive? Expensive. <laughs> the Baron shot a fat arm toward Raban. If you squeeze Arrakis for every cent it can give us for sixty years, you'll barely repay us. Raban opened his mouth, about to speak, but decided to close it instead. <laughs> Expensive, the Baron sneered. That damn guild monopoly on space would have ruined us if I hadn't planned for this expense long ago. You should know, Raban, that we bore the entire brunt of it. We paid for the transport of the Sardaukar. And not for the first time, the Baron wondered if there ever would come a day when the guild might be circumvented. They were insidious, bleeding off just enough to keep the host from objecting until they had you in their fist where they could force you to pay and pay and pay. As that guild man, they know they're in charge of who transports through space. They are. They're the only ones who can see it. Um, so the Baron continued to lower his arm and make a fist. You must squeeze. He wants the income. We need the spice. Squeeze. Now, why, uh, why do you think that, um, we need the, the money now? Well, to make up for all the money that he just spent on the attack, plus he just lost a bunch of spice before the attack, right? So he's, yeah, his profits are way down right now. And if he wants to continue with his this this level of scheming, he's going to need the money. Right? Definitely. Yeah. So right before this attack, um, there was an Atreides suicide attack on Gady Prime, and they took out a bunch of spice reserves. Right. So um, the Baron cleared everything out for this one attack. And of course, this attack on the Atreides not only gets rid of the Duke, secures him back Arrakis, but he's definitely doing a power play to aim for the Imperial seat. Hmm. So this is like his big move is to take Arrakis. Um, so then he's talking about, well, can I have the weapons? Right? Can can I use what what can you got? You brought in some cannons. What what can I keep? What can I not keep? If I'm gonna exploit a population and try to get as much income as possible, what do you have to work with? Right. Cause he just gave Rabon like free reign. Like, do whatever you want as long as you squeeze, as long as you get all the income out. And he's like, okay, okay, whatever I want. Does that like so can I have this? Can I do bit, bit, bit? He's like really pushing his luck with like what can I get away with here? You know? Yeah. And so the Baron's like, you will have no such need for such toys. We just brought them here. And besides, they don't work against S.H.I.E.L.D., Raban. Um, They were just unexpected to get the Duke's men, you know, in this, to get them off. <laughs> and so then he goes, 
So then Raban says, the Fremen don't use shields. And the Baron says, you may keep some laser guns if you wish. Fine. Keep, you, can keep, you can keep the extra weaponry there. Yes, my lord. And I have a free hand. As long as you squeeze. Raban's smile was gloating. I understand perfectly. Like, this is what Raban was made to do. He was made to hurt populations to get them to do. He's a perfect slave driver. Right. Ugh. Um, and this is where the Baron says, no, you actually don't understand what I'm asking. Let us have it clear at the outset. What you do understand is how I carry out my orders. Has it occurred to you, nephew, there are at least five million people on this planet? Uh, does my lord forget that I was the regent here before? And if my lord forgive me, my his estimate may be low. It's difficult to count the population scattered among the sinks and pans the way they are here. And when you consider the Fremen, the Fremen aren't worth considering. The Baron, like, rumbles. And I think, I mean, Raban has a good point here. Like, if he has been here for a while, he does know how to count his people. And why wouldn't you count the Fremen? They're still people, but the Baron thinks under otherwise. And you know who else thinks they're people? The Sardaukar. The Sardaukar like killing Fremen. They learned the hard um, way that the Fremen like killing Sardaukar. <laughs> and that's also true. That's probably why they, they like the challenge, but the Baron still doesn't see uh, see that. Which we're very happy about, actually. It's this big blind spot. Because, um, Raban says, there's been reports of a Fremen band amb- ambushing a Sardaukar forced and was wiped out. And then the Baron's like, wiped out a Sardaukar force? Yes, my lord, impossible. Raban shrugged. Eh, you know, if you don't believe it, Fremen defeating Sardaukar. The Baron sneered. It, I repeat only what was reported to me, Raban said. And this is the Fremen force already captured the Duke's redoubtable Thufir Howitt. So they're talking about the Fremen who are with Thufir right there. Right. And the Baron goes, ah. And he tries to explain, you probably have a misunderstanding here. Those weren't Fremen. Those were Atreides dressed as Fremen, and they could kill Sardaukar. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what we know. Totally. <laughs> but that's there's this common misconception. Well, not misconception. One of the reasons the emperor wanted to get the Atreides out of the way is because there was rumor that they had a fighting force that could rival the Sardaukar. Between that, with the training of Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho, and with the coordination of Thufir, they had a force that could rival the Sardaukar, as were the rumors. And I think that's what the Baron is playing off of here. Like, no, only the Atreides can kill Sardaukar. That's why we got rid of them. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, but Raban still thinks, you know what, it could, it could be the Fremen. Like, yeah. But we know what we should do is we should keep the Sardaukar occupied since they're here. They enjoy killing the Fremen. Just let them go kill the Fremen. Have a good, like, hunting spree. Right. Um, let, let them see what happens. My lord, Raban hesitated, frowning. I've always felt that we underestimated the Fremen. Ignore, you know, both in numbers and 
Ignore them, boy. They're rabble. What? So he's like, I'm not real concerned with the Fremen. And again, the Baron's like, no. The Atreides, they were the ones who can do it. They were the ones who, that's why we're getting rid of them. And we'll just, we'll make sure no one knows the Sardaukar here. Only they know we'll, we'll, kill, we'll kill everybody else. Or at least like intimidate everybody else. Right, we'll pay some people off. We'll be fine. And Raban says, well, what about the smugglers? Right? And then no one believes the smugglers, Raban. Fair. They're tolerated, but not believed. At any rate, you'll be spreading some bribes in the quarter and taking other measures, which I'm sure you can think of. Yes, my lord. There are two things more rackets than Raban. Income and a merciless fist. Show no mercy. Think of these clods as what they are. Slaves envious of their masters, waiting for the opportunity to rebel. Not the slightest vestige of pity or mercy you must show them. And the Raban's like, wait, you want me to kill the whole planet? I'm confused. Exterminate? No. Who said anything about extermination? I, and then Raban's like, well, I presumed you were going to bring more people in to work the spice, you know, if you want me to like be so merciless. I said, squeeze, nephew, not intermediate. Don't waste a population, merely drive them into submission. He smiled, a baby's expression on the dimple fat face. Ugh, why? A carnivore never stops. Show no mercy, never stop. It can be defeated by the stomach rumbling in its hunger, by its throat crying in its thirst. You must always be hungry and thirsty. The Baron's caresses his bulges beneath the suspensors, like me. It's okay. He just he's just got this thing for excess and gluttony. Yeah, I mean, he's probably got all the um, seven deadly sins if we go into it. But Ooh, interesting. You probably find them all in there in the bear. Um. So then we think. So it's all unclear then, my nephew, except for one thing. Yeah, Uncle, uh, the planetologist Kynes. Ah, yes, Kynes. He's the emperor, man, my lord. He can come and go as he pleases. He's very close to the Fremen. He uh, he married one. Kynes will be dead tomorrow, nightfall. That's dangerous work, uncle. Like, let me tell you, I know what's dangerous work. You shouldn't go killing that guy. <laughs> and then the Baron. <laughs> the Baron. How do you think we've come this far so quickly? Besides, you never need to fear the Kynes. Would leave Arrakis? You forget he's addicted to the spice. True. Which is the same the same point that Paul made up a few chapters back. Him and Jessica can't leave. Right. Because they're going to become addicted to the spice. Unless you decide to take the spice with you. Ooh. And that's much more and that's much more expensive. So we just gotta find out how the spice is made and then we can take that with us. Spoilers. All right, moving on. Um <laughs> Like major spoilers for yeah, it's okay. Moving on. Uh yes. So um basically that's where he goes. 
That's what's going on. A sublime emperor has charged me with taking possession of this planet and end all dispute, the Baron says. So that's what he's going to do. This time, oh, you sure do. We will discuss it in more detail tomorrow. Tomorrow, now, leave me to finish my sleep. The Baron deactivated the door field whoop, and watched the nephew walked out of sight. The tank brain, the Baron thought. Muscle-minded tank brain. It'll be a bloody pulp here when he's through with them. Then when I send in Fade Rousa to let the load off them, they'll cheer him their rescuer. Beloved Fade Rautha, benign Fade Rautha, the compassionate who saves them from a beast. Fade Rautha, a man to follow and die for. The boy will know that the time had to oppress with impunity. I'm sure he's the one we need. Hilburn, and he's such a lovely boy. With a lovely, lovely body. And that's in chapter... Um, yeah, chapter 26. Dude, the Baron is so gross in every way. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. And, he, and he's got a thing for Fade. Probably a, not just an admiration thing. Probably a, no, like a weird nephew sex thing. <laughs> Weird nephew boy sex thing. Not right. There's a, the pedophilia in there as well. It's just gross. But that's that juxtaposes Paul's plan to become emperor. So now we have these two plans. The Harkonnen plan with Fade to become the emperor and Paul's plan with the with the Fremen to become the emperor. It's another. These are our two things that are going to come to a head. And who who will come out on top here? That is the question. Yeah. And as far as I can see it so far, it's literally this very clear battle between good and evil because Paul seems to be coming from the whole Atreides world of righteousness and, you know, righteousness is rewarded with loyalty and love and fealty and all that stuff. And then the, uh, Baron is like everything that could possibly be evil, like <laughs> every way he could possibly do something like dark and nefarious or whatever. He, he does it, you know, and power, fear, manipulation. Exactly. And they're both going after the throne. So it's basically like what's going to rule the world, righteousness or violence and Greed and darkness, light, light versus dark. Yeah, uh-huh. that's that is one way you can view this overarching thing. But there are more forces than just Harkonnen, and more forces than just Atreides to come at this. Right. What does the guild want? What does the emperor want? What does the Bene Gesserit want? What do the Fremen want? Yeah. And how does this all swirl around in our motives? Mm. yes but now we know yeah that's where we are um i just love the imagery of the baron uh in the middle of everything with like shields upon shields and upon everything else is moving outward how he's just sitting there in this little cradle literally a cradle like suspended in air holding him up and how 
that's his safe place and where he tells other people to go do bad things. But whereas you have Paul who rushes into the storm, that would ultimately kill anybody else. But yeah, no, okay, thus ends chapter 26. We are so thankful for everyone who watched us live, who listened in. It is incredibly, incredibly amazing to have all of you here. Um, also, you know what? If you want to hit us up on Twitter, do that at Reading Dune. Um, we've got a lovely little Twitter following there. You know, got a little avid community of Dune readers, and we like two cool Dune stuff on there. Um, and also email us at readingdune at gmail.com. And also, if you want to be on the show, we would love to know your favorite moment. Yes. In Dune. Send us an audio recording, a video at readingdune at gmail.com. Come be on the show. It will be awesome. Thank you, as always, for reading Dune with us. And remember, stay spicy. Stay spicy, everyone. Bye-bye.